Welcome to Family Church Podcast. From wherever you're listening, we thank you for joining us. If you missed our family gathering this week, we miss you, and we hope that you enjoy this week's message. Good morning and welcome to church. Uh, Today is the conclusion of our series through the Gospel of Mark. And so um, if you've been on this journey with us, uh, we hope that you have uh, grown, uh, that you've grown a greater understanding of who Jesus is and what he desires for us and how we can live in relationship with him. And so if you have your Bibles, Mark chapter 15, we are going to have a conversation today about how we have access to God, how we have access to God. And so I want to begin by asking, have you ever got access to something? Maybe there's a place uh, maybe it was a trip, maybe it was a, uh, an experience, um, and it's not because like you, you could pay for it, it's not because of, of, of what you did or, or where you were from, it's just simply because somebody gave that out of, out of the goodness of their heart. It, it offered you that opportunity to be able to step in and do something that maybe you would have never been able to do before. A couple years ago, we had the opportunity to go to Passion. Passion Conference is a conference that takes place almost every year in Atlanta for 18 to 25-year-olds. And at this conference, is, it's basically essentially just a huge worship service um, with, with what we would call that part of that next generation, young adults, college students. Um, and we had about 30 signed up in the group that I was taking to Atlanta. Um, and that was hard to coordinate because you had kids coming back from college and you had kids that lived local and you're just trying to get everybody to kind of be on the same page uh, to travel up there together and to get there. But part of the struggle with passion is it's essentially a general admission ticket. The prices go up as you get closer to the event, but there are no assigned seats. You have a ticket, you come into the building, you got to figure out where you're sitting. 30 people is a hard, that's a, that's a lot of people to try to find seats for. And we're talking Mercedes-Benz Dome. You could get spread out. Um, what I've found a lot is, like, young people are really directionally challenged, right? So, like, trying to get them back to the car and, like, where we're supposed to meet up well, it was always a difficult thing if we spread out and sat in different places. And so uh, about two and a half weeks or so before the event, I get an email from Passion. I honestly thought it was, like, spam, like, being tricked. And they said, hey, we see you have a large group of people. Do you want box seats? And I'm like, I ain't never sat in a box before, right? Like, this would be new to me. See, I, see, I, don't, I don't know about, for some of you, like, my family, when we lived in Colorado Springs for a year, we got a chance to go to a Denver Broncos game in Mile High Stadium. We, my parents won this somehow. We rode up in a limo, like, thinking we're all that. We set two, two rows from Mile High, right? Like, that, that was just like, what, what, I've never been in a box before. And so they, they're sending us this email, and I'm like, man, I, I definitely want this. But then I said yes, and then 24 hours later, I'm like, hold on, I never asked if there was a cost to this, right? Like, if I pay $20,000 for a box, how am I going to explain this to the leadership of the church? I probably should inquire on that. So I sent back a thing, I said, hey, just to be clear, like, this is free, right? Like, this is not going to cost me anything. It's not going to cost you anything. And they rushed mailed us some, um, wristbands. Everybody had a, a lanyard when they walk in with their ticket, um, and, and they would scan that to get you into the stadium, but the, but the wristband was different. The wristband was what got you access to the elevator that took you up to the boxes in Mercedes-Benz Stadium. And I remember, like, thinking before we got there, I'm like, who am I going to see? Like, am I going to be in the elevator with Tebow? Maybe Tebow's mom? Maybe... <laughs> Tebow's cousin? I don't know, right? Like, who, who are we going to see because we're in the boxes? And, and, and I remember, like, walking into the stadium, and I'm not going to lie to you, like, for a moment there, I was like, I'm different, right? Like, 
you don't have a wristband, you don't have a wristband, we got wristbands, right? We're headed to the boxes. And I remember, we're going to throw a picture up for you. We got to the box, and we didn't have just any box. We had, we had the visiting team's owner's box. And this is like massive on what would be the 50-yard line in the thing. And I'm telling you, it was a completely different experience of anything that I'd ever gone to. We didn't have to fight for our seats. We didn't have to get there early. We knew we had a seat. We knew where our seat was. And we knew, based off the condition of those seats, it was going to be comfortable, right? That we were going to be able to sit back, relax. Like we, we had access to this box, not because of anything that we had done but simply that they were giving these things away and they chose us to be able to give this to us so that we may be able to experience passion in a different perspective, in a different place than anybody else had. And what I want you to see this morning in one verse is that Christianity is no different. That we have access to God because of the work of Jesus that is given to us freely. Mark chapter 15, 33 through 39 says this. When it was noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama shabachnani, which is translated, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And when some of those standing there heard this, they said, see, he's calling for Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, fixed it on a stick, offered him a drink and said, let's see if Elijah comes to take him down. And Jesus let out a loud cry and breathed his last, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who was standing opposite him saw the way that he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the Son of God. If you're with us for any time, you know typically we will gather a a chunk of Scripture and kind of work through that together. But as we land the plane in the Gospel of Mark series, there's one verse that I want to end with. The most, to me, one of the most liberating verses in all of Scripture, one of the most freeing verses in all of Scripture, but also probably one of the most overlooked verses in all of Scripture. Verse 38, it says this. The curtain of the temple was torn from top to bottom. The curtain of the temple was torn from top to bottom. To understand what is unfolding here and what is the significance of this curtain, we got to go back for a second. We know that the fall happened in the garden that got separated man and woman from his presence. He drove them out of the garden, and there was a barrier that was there, correct? We know that they ended up being uh, slaves in Egypt for 400-something years, and then being freed from slavery and wandered in the wilderness. And while their time was in the wilderness, God gifted them something. We call it the tabernacle. He gave them this instructions of how to throw up this temporary tent. And in the middle of this temporary tent was what we call the Holy of Holies. It was where the presence of God dwelt amongst God's people. And as the Israelites were wandering through the wilderness and eventually made it to the home, which would be the promised land, they retired the tabernacle and they built a replica incense in the temple. And the temple was this permanent place, this permanent dwelling place in the Holy of Holies where God's presence could exist. But the problem with the temple was the same problem they had with the tabernacle and it had limited access. See, it was set up with courts. On the outside of the temple was this court called the Court of Gentiles. You remember a few weeks ago, Jesus flipped the temple tables. He drove out the money changers. That's where this was unfolding, the Court of Gentiles. As you move a little bit further in, then you have the Court of Women, and you have the Court of Men. And then you have the holy place, where the holy place is where only the priests could go. And then further into it, you have what's called the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies is the place only where the high priest could go one time a year to offer a blood sacrifice for the atonement of the sins of the people. 
But as you look at the design of the temple, it gets narrow and narrow and narrow because the access becomes more limited and more limited as you go further in. And what we see here is that that, that the Holy of Holies was was separated. It was separated from, from the presence of God from unholy people, from a holy God from unholy people. And it was separated with this curtain. Okay, this curtain would, was, 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 was said to be 60 feet in length, 30 foot across, and the thickness of it, there's a couple different uh, descriptions of the thickness. Some people believe it was pinky to thumb um, when, when it came to the, the width of it. Other people believe that if you could turn your, high, your hand sideways, it would just be the thickness of the palm of your hand. Nonetheless, this is a massive curtain, heavy Right? It took 300 priests to be able to hang this thing that, that, as a barrier from the Holy of Holies to the rest of the temple. But the, temple, the, the curtain was there for a purpose. It, it separated, it was a barrier between God's presence and all the rest of humanity. And it was a barrier that only one time a year, the high priest was able to go inside of the curtain and offer and do the things that God had called him to in obedience. But it was such a dangerous job that people said that they would tie a rope with bells around the ankle of the high priest, that as he went in, the bells signified that he was still moving, that he was still actively doing his job, but the rope was there that just in case he did something out of order, he did something the wrong way, that if he died in there, they didn't have to risk their lives, they could pull him out with the rope. And this was what the curtain was there for. It was blocking people from the presence of this unholy or a holy God from his unholy people. But it was also a barrier from, from us personally knowing God. Like it was there, and, and it was this obstacle to where, where they couldn't really fully rest in the presence of God. They couldn't commune with God the way that he called and designed us to do that. And all of this changed, though. All of this changed the moment that Jesus took his last breath. As we see in this very important verse, verse 38, And we also see in the other synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that the curtain separated, that separated mankind from God was ripped from top to bottom. Now understand something. Top to bottom is a really important detail in this passage. From bottom to top could have been signified that man did it, that humans did it. But what this this top to bottom was signifying that this was truly an act of God that the curtain was ripped and torn, the veil that separated unholy people from a holy God was, was, was removed so that God's people may know him and commune with him and live with him and be in relationship with him. And the challenge that we have sometimes is we read the Bible and we're like, I don't have a clue what that meant. I don't understand what's going on here. I don't understand how this is important to me. I see how it's important to them, but how is this important to me? And I want to give you three things this, week, this morning, and then we have planned a little bit of time of worship to end our service today. This is the first thing. It marked the end of the sacrificial system. It marked the end of the sacrificial system. If you don't know what the sacrificial system is, let me give you a little bit of details. God gave us the law. In the law was the sacrificial system. The sacrificial system was the way in which God's people were able to atone for their sins. They weren't able to work for forgiveness. They weren't able to do certain things for forgiveness. They would offer a sacrifice, the innocent animal, in their place to seek forgiveness and atonement for their sins. And so, The sacrificial system, I believe, died when Jesus died. I believe that it went away when Jesus died. And that's something that we should all say amen to, just so you know. All right? 
And, and, and what we see in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 4, is it says, since the law was only a shadow of the good things to come and not the reality itself of those things, it can never perfect the worshipers by the same sacrifices they continually offer year after year. Otherwise, would they have stopped being offered since the worshipers purified once and for all would no longer have any conscience of sins? But in the sacrifices, there is a reminder of the sins year after year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away the sins. See, individually, annually, year after year, they would be reminded of their sins because they'd have to go take an innocent animal, they'd have to bring it to the priest, that it would slaughter that and offer that blood as a blood sacrifice for the atonement of their sins and the sins of the people. And this was an imperfect system. People look at that and go, oh, 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 did God made a mistake? God doesn't make mistakes. God made this imperfect for a reason. He wanted it to point to something better. He wanted to point it to the, the, the perfect lamb that would be slaughtered, that would be Jesus, that his blood would be the atoning sacrifice needed and necessary for us to be forgiven for our sins, not once for the year, but once and forever that we would be free and that we would be free from the penalty and the punishment. We would be free from the necessity of having to continue to the, the rigorous the responsibilities that came with the sacrificial system. People believe that what Jesus did, the moment that he took his last breath and that curtain was torn was because Jesus entered into the Holy of Holies, not with the blood of a lamb, but his blood, which was the blood of the lamb the perfect lamb, and he sprinkled it on the altar, and it was in that moment that all of these things unfold. The earthquake happened, and the curtain tore. Why? Because what God was doing is he was marking the day of a new era, that no longer would you be separated by a curtain. No longer would a veil separate you from the presence of God, but the curtain would be torn so that you might be able to live in relationship with God, that you may be able to live not with the sacrifices of animals, but because Jesus made the sacrifice that you and I couldn't give. That's what we see when the veil was torn. But not only that, but not only that, it was the start of relationship over religion. It was the start of relationship over religion. You see, the curtain, the temple, the cleansing, all of that, when you read about it, it reeks of religion. Right, just the, the, the process and the, 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 the things that you have to do and you have to do this to be able to do this and you have to go here and you have to talk to this person. Now, don't get me wrong. We shouldn't look at the tabernacle and the temple as this religious symbol, but it was really God's pursuit of his people. It was just kind of a marker in his pursuit. The tabernacle was really the first time since the garden that God dwelled amongst his people. He did again in the temple and he did again through Jesus, which was the temple that he said would be torn down and rebuilt in three days, right? That, that we see that, that this was kind of the marking of where religious stuff went away and God's people could begin to live in some element of the way that he created us to live, in community with him, in relationship with him, in his presence. But by the grace of God, he never stopped pursuing us. But there was also another element to this, the, the, the people weren't able to go and even give their own sacrifices to God. They, they couldn't take the blood and go sprinkle it on the altar. They had to depend on this other guy to go in and do all of these things for him. There was nothing personal about it. But in Hebrews 10, it also says in verse 19 through 22, it says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have the boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, 
He has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. What Jesus was doing is he was starting a new relationships with no boundaries. Think about this for a second. You've lived your whole life under the law, under the sacrificial system, and all of a sudden, no longer did you have to bring sacrifices, no longer did you have to go through the priest, but now you were able to enter the presence of God. You were able to talk to God. You were able to live for God. You were able to do these things. The author of Hebrews says that they can go with boldness, not ashamed of who they are, not ashamed of what they've done, but with boldness before God because of what Jesus did. This is good news for if you're a recovering Catholic in the room. You don't have to go through an individual. You don't have to go through a priest. You don't have to look at me. You don't have to go through me because I'm no different than you. I put my pants on the same way. Same Holy Spirit's in you is the same Holy Spirit that's in with me. We are no different. We're no different. We are all saved by grace through faith. And the only reason that you can go to God and I have the ability to go to God is because the veil was torn. And he made a way for us to live in relationship with a holy God. But the greatest news to me of all of this is that he granted access to everyone. He granted access to everyone. I stated earlier that the temple, when you look at it, became narrower and narrower and narrower and less accessible as you move further in. But, but what, what, through the work of Jesus, we see in Scripture that anyone was able to come to God. Galatians 3.28 says there's no Jew or Greek, no slave or free, no male or female, since all are one in Christ Jesus. Around the throne of God in heaven, here's the great news. Every tribe, tongue, and nation will be represented. People from Sumter County, believe it or not, people from Marion County, right? Like, like people from Africa, people from Canada, like people from all over the world will be represented around the throne room of God. It won't just be Jewish people. Don't miss this. Because the court of the Gentiles is not necessary. The court of women is not necessary. The court of men, because all who are in Jesus Christ are one. We are one big family. That's the reality of the gospel. That's the reality of the curtain being torn. That it is made available to everyone. Romans 10, 13 says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How are we saved? By calling on the name of the Lord. By confessing our belief by having faith in Jesus Christ. That's accessible to all. It's made available to all. And no longer do we enter through the presence of God, through the Holy of Holies that is a curtain separated. But this is what Jesus tells us in John 10, 9. He says, I am the gate. I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and he will come in and go out and find pasture. We don't enter into the presence of God through a curtain one time a year. We enter into the presence of God daily, moment by moment, 24 hours. We have access, not because of what we've done, but because of what he's done, and that he has removed those things that stood in the way so that you and I can not only have life, but that we could have access. We could have access to his grace and his love. We can have access to his comfort and his peace that we can have access because we know Jesus. See, removing the curtain did this. It made God knowable and accessible. It made God knowable and accessible to everyone everywhere. 
and that includes us, that we have full access to God because of the work of Jesus. I want to share a story with you as we close this morning. There's a pastor by the name of Alistair Begg. Uh, some of you have maybe have heard him before. But there's a clip that posts, that kind of pops up every year around Easter time, specifically Good Friday, because he preached this sermon on Good Friday. And he details the story of, of the thieves on the cross. And this clip, this clip has brought me to, to tears on multiple occasions, just thinking of the power of what happened. And he said, you know, on the, on the cross, as Jesus was, 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 was nailed to it, on one side you have this, this, this thief, right, who's looking at Jesus and going, King of kings, Lord of lords, yeah, yeah right. You've committed, you've done miracles and you've raised people from the dead and you've healed people from leprosy and all of these other things. If you can do those things, then get off the cross. And on the other side was another convicted thief. And he looks at the guy on the other side of Jesus and he's like, come on, man. He's innocent. Like we're here because we deserve to be here. We're paying the punishment for what we've done. But Jesus is innocent. He's done no wrong. He's done nothing bad. He's a good guy by societal standards. And the response of Jesus to this man that stood up, he looked at him and he said, today you will be with me in paradise. And Alistair Begg says, what do you think that afternoon was like for that guy? He showed up to the gates of heaven. On what merit are you here today? Well, let me explain to you about substitutionary atonement. Well, let me tell you about how many times I went to Sunday school. He didn't say, let me tell you the, all of the books of the Bible. Let me give you my life verse and why it's my life verse. He couldn't even probably explain the ABCs of salvation that we teach in Vacation Bible School. That the only response that this man had at the gates of heaven for the reason that he was given access to what he had access to was because the man on the middle cross told me that I could come. That's the only reason I'm here. It's not because I knew all of the right things to say. It's not because I could recite all of the Gospel of John. It isn't because I knew all the right answers. It isn't because I attended church every opportunity the doors opened. The only reason that I'm here is because the man on the middle cross told me I was allowed to come. That's the only reason. What do we have access to God because? Not because Justin's a good person or Tom's a good person. It's not because any of us are good. It's because the man on the middle cross did something that none of us could do for ourselves. And for those that call on the name of the Lord, he gives the right to become children of God. And when we become children of God, you know what we have? Access. I needed a tool for something that we built at my house. We were doing it at my house. My dad said, do you want to buy it? I said, no, you have it. Buying it? You got it. Why would I buy it if you have it? And he's like, what do you mean? I said, what's yours is mine and what's mine is yours. That's the way that I look at this. I said, I'm going to get it eventually. I might as well use it now. That's the way that I look at the Father. 
There's nothing that he has that I don't have access to. He's got love, I have access to his love. He has peace, I have access to his peace. He, he, he has wisdom, I have access to his wisdom. That he, that he doesn't hold anything back. That he makes it all available and says, for anyone who calls on the name of the Lord, they will be saved. And the veil, verse 38 of Mark chapter 15, don't ever let this slide by again, is critically important to our relationship with Jesus because when the veil was torn, Jesus said, come and know me for who I am. Come and commune with me. And here's the beauty of it all. It's going to get better. Like we, what we taste today and what we have today is only just a, a small piece. It's going to get better. Mark chapter 15, or excuse me, Mark chapter 1, verse 15. We started this whole series off. Well, Jesus coming and beginning his ministry, and this is what he said. Repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe. And here's the truth of what we said that day. The message hasn't changed. The message hasn't changed. Repent and believe in the good news. That if you have never trusted in Jesus and you're going, no, 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 I'm waiting until I get a little bit better. I'm going to do some good things. Hear me today. It's not about what you can do. It's about what the man on the middle cross has already done for you. That's how you have life. And Jesus doesn't say, hey, call and get it all together and then come see me. No, he says, hey, repent and believe. If you turn from your sin and you believe in me, what does Romans 10 say? If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, then you will be saved. It's that easy. It's free. It's not going to cost you anything. That's the good news, is that he makes it available to anyone who would call on his name. And we have access, not because of what we've done, not because of what we could do, not because of what we own, but of who we, because of who we know. So this morning, if you're here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus and a personal relationship with Jesus, maybe you've been doing religion, 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 and for some of you, you're like, I don't like church because it just feels religious. Then tell, can I tell you something? You've probably been doing it the wrong way the whole time because when it's relationship with Jesus Christ, there's something that's life-giving that when you get together with your brothers and sisters in Christ. So for some of you, maybe it's just the day that you say, it's time for me to repent and believe. It's time for me to step into that relationship that God has made available through the, through the tearing of the veil, through the blood that he gave, through the sacrifice that he offered, and through the grave that he rose from. If you don't know Jesus, in just a second, I'm going to be over to the stage, on the left side of the stage. I'd love to have a conversation with you. But we felt like that it was the best thing that we could do today is just kind of as we end this, step into the presence of the Lord and sing him praises. Honor him, worship him, give him glory. Thank you for listening to the message this week. If you want to know more about having a relationship with Jesus or about Family Church, please go check out our website at familychurchsumter.com. We hope you will see you this Sunday.